is in Matthew chapter 19. If you have it, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to rest your eyes on verse 23 when Jesus is speaking. Actually, start with me at verse 20. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete or perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you for all that you've already blessed our hearts to hear. And now, oh God, take your word and touch those areas in our life that are yet unfertilized by the word of God. And may we say yes through our acts of obedience to you. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And he went away sorrowful for the young man had great wealth. One of the most impactful movies that made its debut some 24 years ago is The Color Purple. I'm not crazy about it, but this portrait, portrayal of the brother. It's still a good movie. It tells the story of a black woman named Silly, played by Whoopi Goldberg. She gallantly fought and overcame physical abuse and bigotry for 40 years post-legalized slavery in America in the state of Georgia. Of all the characters in the cast of The Color Purple, Sophia, who was portrayed by Oprah Winfrey, became one of the most unforgettable for me. She was married to a man named Hoppo. What made Sophia so memorable was her temper. She had a very, very short fuse. Everybody that knew Sophia understood that there were at least two areas that were major triggers in her life. They knew not to go there with Sophia in those two areas. One of them that she clearly explained to Hoppo, don't put your hands on me, Hoppo. I am not going to tolerate a man beating on me. And the second area that you did not want to go there with Sophia was mistreating her children or talking bad about them. Whenever Hoppo decided that he was going to put Sophia in her place and do to women what real men do, he went there. You could see Sophia transform right before your eyes. Her eyes would go up towards the sky, like, and her lips would twist, and that right hand would be balled up and clenched. <laughs> and before anybody could intervene and stop her, because they knew 
that Hoppo had went there, that right left, that right hook would be released, and the person on the receiving end would find themselves on the floor seeing stars. Uh, it didn't matter who you were, even the mayor's wife and the mayor. Sophia went there after she was taken there with those eyes and those lips and that, that fist. And she actually ended up spending 12 years in prison for knocking the mayor of the city out. If he had not gone there, there would not have been any trouble. Now, most of us are probably familiar with that expression, don't go there. Maybe you have said it to somebody or thought it as you were listening to somebody get on your last, your last nerve. Somebody that's about to make you forget about the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, what we mean when we say, don't go there, if we're serious, because Sister Lucinda will say that, and she's joking. <laughs> but if you're serious about it, what you're saying is, if you go there, you will regret that decision. You will not be happy. Uh, it's about to get heated up in here. This conversation is going to be uncomfortable. It may even become more than a conversation if you go there. So I'm asking you, don't go there. While you may never do a Sophia on somebody that went there, you will do whatever is necessary to check somebody who's out of pocket in Jesus' name. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26, a young man came to Jesus and he asked a life-altering question. What must I do? to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus does not directly answer the man because you can't do anything to earn heaven. But he first responds to the man by addressing his head, by dealing with him on a superficial level. He says, keep the commandments to which the young man confidently arrogantly and erroneously lied and said, I have from, child, from childhood, I've kept them all. Now, Jesus moves from the head to the heart. He went there. He goes to a place in this man's real world that causes this young brother to step. He said, all right, take all that you have sell it, and give it to the poor. And when Jesus went there, <laughs> that was one of those don't go there areas in this young man's life. The Bible says that he turned and he walked away sorrowfully because he had great wealth. I've come to tell you today that we all have areas in our life that not just on a horizontal level as we relate one to another, but on a vertical level that we have said either consciously or unconsciously by our behaviors and attitudes to God, don't go there. So we see this example in the rich man, and by not allowing Jesus to go there, 
and responding properly, he didn't get there. I want to talk to you today about areas in our life where we've said to God and don't go there. But I also want to consider when it is right to tell somebody, no, we're not going there. That, the conversation ends. I want to talk about why it's dangerous to put in front of certain areas of our life to God and to others that God has commissioned to challenge us a do not disturb, don't go there sign. That can be dangerous as well. And then I want to complete, if we have time, how do you respond properly when someone has gone there and it was not appropriate, or maybe it was? Now, what areas are off limits to God in, in our lives? I want to suggest, first of all, from the chapter in front of us, is our possessions. <laughs> the Bible says that he was very wealthy. And that was an area where the Lord did not have control. The scripture says, wherever you invest your money, that is where your heart is. That's what's most important to you. David said that, where, uh, David said it like this, after monies were collected for the building of the house of God and he lifted up a prayer to God. He says, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And so whatever you have, the, the Scripture clearly tells us that the, that the Lord, that, that all of creation belongs to the Lord. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all the, everything that you and I have comes from his hands. Jesus put it this way. He said, what shall it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And so we say we're just trying to earn money for our family. We have this target. We have this length of time that we're going to work, and we're going to retire, and we're putting our nest egg away. And, and, and then somehow in the midst of all of our working and, and struggling to get these possessions, to get what money can buy so that we can have security, we, we, we squeeze God in sometimes and some places, and, and, and God really when it comes down to it, is really not running our lives, our finances, our possessions. I've heard someone say that prayer changes things. The, all, the, all, the opposite is true as well. Things change prayer. I wonder today if God were to ask you to give him everything that he's entrusted to your hands, your house, that car, the clothes that you wear, those dreams that you have for your financial security, would you be willing to submit to him to turn the keys over to the one who lent them to you in the first place? I want you to know that if it, the truth be told, the biggest issue in America is that we worship the God of materialism, the God of comfort, the God of convenience, the God of things, the God that allows us to get toys. And so the first area where we say don't go there to God for some of us is with our possessions. Here's another area, privilege. Say privilege. I'm not giving up my seat. I've been in the church the longest. I'm the oldest. I got my own special parking spot, and I deserve it. I'm the pastor. I'm the deacon. I'm the elder. I'm the bishop. I should have the first biggest office uh, on the floor because I'm the, I'm the boss, and I should be able to look out into the yard and wherever the traffic is. I should have all these things. I deserve it. Privilege says I'm not giving up my seat. The deacons sit in these seats. Uh, my name's on the side of the seat. I get the most money in the church. And so privilege says, I earn it. I'm entitled. But humility says, I'm honored when these things are offered. But I don't demand them. Can the Lord have your seat? Uh, can the Lord drive that car uh, that you 
say is yours. And so privilege is an area that we, 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 we say, God, off limits, off limits. Another area is power, titles, and position in the church. We still are half crazy about that in the church. If you want to uh, get a black man to be faithful and maybe not even faithful, give him a title. And often, unfortunately, that's exactly what pastors do. In order to keep men in the church, they will give you a title. You will have no authority, no responsibility, but you will have a title. And for some, when we don't run anything else, nowhere in the world, we are disrespected, last, first, last hired, first fired, underpaid, under all those things. You come to the church, you get a title, now you're somebody. And so that becomes very important. But Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom is not the one that, that lords it over you. It's not the one who has the titles, but it's, it's the person who's the greatest servant. Because servanthood is not a struggle for the top. It's a struggle for the bottom. And so one of the areas that really is an issue for us is when it comes to this whole thing of power. The Pharisees hated Jesus because he was a threat to their power. That's why Jesus, when Jesus said, uh, you hypocrites, thus well did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. When Jesus said that, he was challenging them because they said that uh, unless your disciples uh, uh, prepare a meal, they were supposed to wash their hands a ceremony a certain way, let the water run down in between the, the crevices of their hand, down the back of their elbow. It was nowhere in the scriptures where it taught that. They were, they were collecting grain on the Sabbath, and they said, well, they don't respect the Sabbath. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't made for God. It was made for man. You're teaching as a commandment your traditions. And so Christ came against that authority, and they hated him. I want you to know when you challenge people around the, the, the topic of power and recognition because of titles and positions and degrees, one of the most difficult groups to hang with and, and just let your hair down are people in the academic community. And one of the things that's going on in our country, these, we, our, our, the people that are running our country don't lack education. It's unsanctified education. <laughs> There's a wisdom that comes from this world. And when you give people titles that are operating in the flesh, in the wisdom of this world, we will find ourselves, like the proverb says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is a way of death. We are leading people away from God. And so in the area of power and recognition, I've seen ministers leave churches to go somewhere and get licensed and ordained. Then they come back to the church that wouldn't license them. What was the purpose of the license? Well, I just felt led. No, you felt led to get a title. That doesn't make you a person of influence. Paul said, we did not come to you with the persuasion of speech, but we came to you in the demonstration of power, the power of the Spirit of God. That's what I want. I don't care about pastor, deacon, elder. I want power. I want to be able to stand behind this roster with the Word of God, and you sense that the Spirit of God is at work, and you can't leave here the way you can. I want dudamus. Another area where we struggle when we put don't go there to God is our posterity. That's our generational lineage, our chilling. We have plans, what schools they're going to go to, who they're going to marry, where they can live, what kind of bank accounts uh, they should have. And we, we, got, all, we got it all planned out, uh, how long, it's, uh, what, what kind of degrees they're going to earn, etc. We forget the children are a gift from the Lord, and the fruit of reward is, is a reward. The children that you have have been entrusted to you by God. You can't tell God, hands off of the children, I already had this thing worked out. Unless the Lord builds a house, they that build it labor in vain. The watchmen keep awake in vain. 
And so when we don't allow God to, to, to lead us in how we instruct our children, where the scripture says, train up a child in the way that he or she should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. We have turned away from God. And what we see today are the consequences, more suicide than ever with young people in the history of America, more drug addiction in the history of this country, more hatred and separatism. We have turned from God. We've told God, don't go there. Don't go there. Our posterity, our power, our privilege, those are areas that have been off limits to God. Our, our, our possessions. Here's another area. Pleasure. We plan sin. We got vacations for different kinds of sin. We ain't responding to text messages, emails, if they come from the church. And so we didn't line this up with, our, with, with who, our, our buddies and the girls and everybody. But I hear the word of God says, do not love the world or anything that is in the, in the world, the world system. God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he gave his only son. But he said, do not love this world system because the God of this world system is Satan. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in them. Listen to that. If you live according to this world system and how you personally act out in your private life, the scripture says that the Father is not in you. You cannot, we keep calling people saved because they make a profession of faith. But I hear the word of God saying in Matthew 7, Jesus said, many shall say in that day, Lord, have I not? They've done ministry, cast out demons in your name, preached in your name, and, and, and I've done miracles and signs, and Jesus is going to look at them at the great white throne judgment, and he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, and here's the, the caveat, you were a worker of iniquity. The evidence of salvation is you shall know them by their fruit. For everything in the world system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from God, but from this world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The evidence of your salvation is a changed life. And so when you, you have a don't go there with God when it comes to how you practice sex before marriage or sex in marriage. And, 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 and God cannot address that with you. There's no conviction. There's no desire to change. I want you to know that you need to evaluate your salvation. It's dangerous to plan sin because when we do, we invite the divine judgment of God. And there's no room so dark, no place so far, no secret so silent and confidential that God is not there. So that's an area, another area where we, we put a do not go there to God. And here's, I think, the most prominent way we put a sign in front of God, don't go there. And it's in the area of our pain. It's where you've been hurt. We have built walls we have, of defense. We have justified our anger, our unforgiveness, our grudge holding, our just nasty spirit. And sometimes what we don't understand when we're not manifesting the fruit of the spirit, people are watching you to see Jesus. Oh, they shouldn't be watching me. Well, the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works. Your, your light is shining. But it's so dim because of what someone has done to you that you're not going to give anybody an opportunity to hurt you like that. And you're not going to let anybody forget who hurt you the way you think nobody should ever hurt anybody. But I hear the word of the Lord saying, forgive one another as Christ, as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. You need to remove that sign that says, don't go there, God. 
Because what we're going to see is that when you don't allow the Lord to deal in your life, even as was shared earlier today, many of these, uh, these young girls who have been, who have been uh, captured and kidnapped and put on the streets for uh, sex trafficking, and they question, where is God? And if he loved me, how could he allow this to happen? And, and, and as they are restored, they can look back at the experience of how gracious God was to even in what they were going through, he was right there giving them the strength to make it through. And now what should have destroyed them became their testimony. What you are giving God a do not go there sign, it's going to be what is your testimony if you allow the Lord to give you comfort in those areas of your pain. Yes, it was hurtful. Yes, it was true. But are you willing to allow the Lord to go there? I've shared the story about the, 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 that I heard some years ago about the man. He had a mansion, and he was really being plagued by evil spirits. And somebody said, Jesus is in town. It might be a good idea to invite Christ to your house. And the rich man said, sure, I'm going to send an extended invitation to Jesus, and I'm going to let him come, and Jesus uh, will come. If you invite him in, he'll come. And so when Jesus came, he said, Jesus, this is a mansion. I'm going to give you the best room in my house. But after you go to your room, at the end of the day, you must lock your door and stay inside. And so Jesus said, wherever part of the house you give me to stay, that's where I'll stay. And so later that evening, Jesus is in the house, knock on the door, man opens the door, there they are, the same demonic spirits tormenting him in such a way that he couldn't sleep. This happened for three nights in a row. The demons would show up when Jesus would be still in the house, lock his door in the room, and then finally the man said, I thought you were the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I read somewhere where all power and authority is in your hands, and yet I'm being tormented and vexed and frustrated by demons. I can't sleep. I haven't had sleep in 72 hours. And Jesus said, everything that you said about me is true. But I'm only Lord of lords over that which you give me lordship over. If you restrict me to one area of your life, well, God, you can have me on Sunday mornings when I'm in church. I will smile for you. I'll raise my hand and I'll jump when the praise and worship team said jump. But for Monday through Saturday, those parts of my house, those parts of my life are off limits. Don't go there. That's my time. I want you to know that there are areas in your life that you're going to continue to be tormented and vexed because you've said by your response to the Holy Spirit, don't go there. Wherever the Lord is not invited, he will not force himself. He will not force himself. I am learning when the Spirit of God convicts me or tells me to do something. It's not always because I've done something wrong. Especially in the area of giving, I love to give. I love to be a blessing. But if I think about it too long, I'm going to figure out a way that God maybe not, maybe God didn't say, <laughs> I could be using this for. I want you to understand, if you don't obey the Spirit when you are under conviction, even if you do what you should have done at the time that you, and you didn't do it when you should have done, you're still in sin. Because you did not obey the Spirit of God. Now you're operating out of guilt. And so we want to be careful not to exclude the Lord from any area in our life. Are there areas in your life where you become so comfortable where sin that used to convict you and bring tears to you and break, break your heart, you don't cry anymore. You can come to church every Sunday and look like everything is fine. You just got out of somebody's bed, and it's not your husband, and it's not your wife. But you're not convicted. I've had people sit in the church, and they are convinced that I prepared a sermon specifically for them. And they don't come back anymore, or you don't see them for a while. Now, first of all, those kind of people are usually inconsistent in their attendance. So how would I even know, unless I become God, 
that you're going to show up on that Sunday. So how about don't give the pastor the credit, give God the Holy Spirit who loves you enough. The Bible says those who he loves, he will chase him. He will pursue you because the love of Christ constrains us. He is chasing you and he will not let you remain where you are. I praise the Lord for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I praise the Lord that I can't sleep well when I don't do right. I don't care what you do. I'm talking about what I do. When is it acceptable to draw the line that lets people know not to go any further? When can you tell somebody, don't go there? Can you, as a Christian, set somebody straight? Let me suggest sometimes when you can set things straight, where you can look at people and tell them with no uncertain terms, Cyst and deceased. Don't do that no more. Don't do that. So it was really funny. Um, I have three boys, one daughter. I had two sons that you could not intimidate with a look. Mm-hmm. Raising of the voice, nah. But when it came to Brandon and Kanita, all I had to do is just give them that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or raise the voice, and it, the problem was solved. The problem was solved. And so there are times when the Bible says, be angry, but all right, will you, where the octaves in your voice and the decibels in the bass will change. Now, I, I don't know about you, brothers, but... Uh, uh, let me not touch that. One on, running on in Jesus' name. We got to get out of here. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. I'm about to really get in trouble. I'm not going there. <laughs> Here's an area and a time when you need to say to somebody, don't go there. When people try to control you through emotional manipulation. Delilah cried for days. She said, Samson, 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 baby, if you really love me, you would tell me the secrets of your heart. And she cried real tears for days. And the Bible says that the soul of Samson was vexed. He got to the place where most men cannot handle women crying. If you start crying, uh uh-oh, what did, you know, automatically it's assumed somebody did something to her. So ladies, use your tears very selectively. (laughs) And so under the pressure of manipulation through her emotional appeal, Samson revealed to Delilah confidential information that God had not given him permission to share. I want you to know you will end up divulging things to people and doing things because you want to get, go along to get along. Sometimes you just let, the per, just let them cry. You don't have to pick up a baby every time they cry. You don't have to allow what's going on in somebody else's world to wreck your day. I, I hear scripture say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I don't know about you, but I, you may not rejoice, but I choose to rejoice. I'll pray for you, but I'm not going into the pit with you. Somebody say amen. amen. Jeremiah threatened to leave the ministry if God didn't change his message. Every time Jeremiah preached, this dude preached for 40 years, didn't have a single convert. Not one. God told him he couldn't even get married. And so here he is. He finally gets to the place in chapter 20. He said, first of all, I never even asked to preach. I didn't come and sign up for being a prophet. And every time you tell me a message, you send me a text from heaven to preach. He said, it's not God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. Name it and clear it in Jesus' name. He, he says, Lord, I get these doom, destruction, and damnation messages. He said, Lord, 
I'm not preaching anymore unless you give me some different kind of sermons. And then Jeremiah said, your word. It was like fire. I, I couldn't help myself. It was like fire. Shut up in my bones. Ahab pouted until his wife promised him that she would get him what he wanted, even if it meant killing an innocent man. The king went home and he cried and he pouted all day. He wouldn't eat food. He pushed his plate away. And his domineering wife came to her henpecked husband. Hey, baby, are you all right? Can I wipe your nose for you? Uh, do I need to change your diaper, honey? Tell mommy what's wrong. You better not be marrying no one like Ahab. Some brother that want to hide behind your skirt. Somebody want you, why don't you handle this? And unfortunately, women, because they are by nature nurturers, you will, buy, when we think about doing, you've already done it five times. And then you train that man that all he had to do is hesitate. And then when he finally comes to church and, and gets discipled by Christ Strong Ministries, and he understands <laughs> what his role is as a leader, and now he tries to lead, but you're so accustomed to running ahead and being a Jezebel that he can quickly shrink back to his Ahab ways. Don't be manipulated emotionally. When people try to manipulate you that way, you need to say, don't go there. Don't go there. Ahab, get your, get your butt up out of that bed and go to work. Well, I don't feel well. If my job calls me, would you tell them? No, I'm not telling them anything. You don't lie for your husband or your wife. Well, they won't talk to me for the rest. Then they just won't talk to me. Well, we may not have sex for a week. Okay. God said that you should fast and pray. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the only one being deprived here. <laughs> you remember the story of the man who had been lame for 38 years? He was, his cot was laying beside the, the sea, the, 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 the pool of Bethesda a place of healing, the place of deliverance, the place of miracles. So Jesus shows up, and he says to the man, poor guy, 38 years, on a pallet, a beggar, can't do nothing. But sit there and wait. For, he, he, Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And the man said, well, let me tell you how it happened. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't have a father. And everything they told me about men and uh, he said, well, when I try to get healed, there's nobody to take me to the water. And he just goes to this little sad sob song. That wasn't the question. Do you want to be healed? You Sometimes you need to go there. I, I, I've heard that story before. You want me to get a violin? Uh, let's get some tissues. All right, get it out. Let's talk. Well, you're so cold. You're so cruel. You're just so insensitive. Okay, what's the problem here? Don't be one who allows people to manipulate you through emotions. Oh, Adam, when the Lord said, who told you you were naked? He said, well, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it, you know. <laughs> I know what you told me. And when, you, when it was you and me and nobody else, it, our worship was just so sweet. But that woman you gave me. Not only was he blaming Eve, he was blaming God. You get, if you had not get, I would have. Isn't it interesting? Even when people are caught red-handed, they got a reason, a song, and a dance why they woulda and coulda, shoulda. Did you do it, Adam? That woman. Here's another thing. If people are trying to physically harm you or someone you love, you have the right to, to say, don't go there. 
Nehemiah said to the men who were building the walls around the city of Jerusalem, he said, build the walls, but if you got to bust some heads, bust some heads. Oh, that ain't in the Bible. Well, he said, I'm word. He said, bear arms. Bear arms to protect your family. So there are times, brothers, where you got to put on your Superman cape. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that Superman cape is your wife. She may need to say something that you shouldn't say because she picked up something you didn't detect. He said, sister, can I talk to you? I, I just want to, when you said that to my husband, I don't know what you meant, but this is, <laughs> but this, this is kind of how it sounded to me. Now, he don't look like much, and, and he may not be all that you think he should be, but that's mine. That, he, that brother, he belongs to me, and, and I, I just want you to understand, you can't talk to him. <laughs> Like that. Don't go there. Are we clear? That's funny. Um, whenever my gangster cousins were not in jail, <laughs> I wanted to be just like them, too. They were my role models. They love to see me fight. And so when I would see them, I would take off, and they'd hour, and I was caught. I turned, and then I'd be walking with them. They'd say, fight him. Just somebody off the street. And I'd say, who, him? And they say, yeah, just slap box him. Now, this dude is like, he's like the coach, like six foot six. And I'm down here, I'm slap boxing somebody. So if you want to know why my head is shaped like it is. <laughs> when people violate your legal rights and church leadership cannot resolve the grievance, you need to go to the law. You need to say, don't go there. I'm going, I'm with my attorney. Now, when you get a chance, we don't have time to do this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 9. You're not going to be able to do this right now. But in verse 4, it says, If then you have judged judgments concerning, concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say to your shame. So he's saying, instead of taking a problem with another Christian to a secular judge, he says, I'm, the fact that you're doing this is shameful. He said, instead, I say to your shame, is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between you and a brother? And so even when there are legal matters, Christians should not take other Christians to court as the first resource, as, as the first action. You should take it to the leadership of the God. We got elders here that are wise. You got pastors and deacons and people trained in counseling. Now, some of the messes that we get ourselves into, we got to say, look, you need to call an attorney. <laughs> but that's not where you start. The Bible says that we're going to judge the world and angels, the church, the body of Christ. And so there's sometimes we said, look, like Paul said, after they had beaten him and thrown him in jail in Philippi, and now they want him to sneak out of the back. And he said, no, oh, 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 I'm a Roman citizen. My rights have been violated. I want to see. And they said, okay. Then they, they changed their tune because Paul exercised his legal rights. People that intentionally and unintentionally try to hurt you. There are people who intentionally make it their, it, they, are, they are head or hell-bent on wrecking your day. They know you. They know what strings to pull. They know how to uh, trigger you. They know what buttons to push, and you go for it every time. They stick their foot out, and you go, ah! <laughs> And so the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 18, you need to hear this. If your brother sins against you, go to them in private. Go there. And if, the, if he hears you, you win a brother. Now watch this. The word for sin is the same Greek word for offense. 
So he says, if your brother or sister offends you, the Greek word for offense means to cause to stumble or trip, resulting in entrapment. To cause to stumble or trip like an animal that's making its way through the woods and there's a trap and the animal trips into the trap or steps into it and now it's caught. And therefore now it's hindered or prevented from continuing on its death to its destination. An offense is when somebody does something to you that trips or causes you to stumble that prevents or hinders you from accomplishing the will of God. It's a sin that someone does against you. That is, a sin is a violation against Scripture. So what we're calling an offense, if it's not a sin that you can find in the Word of God, that's not an offense. There's a difference between a biblical offense and an unfulfilled expectation. You expected them to speak to you when, they, when you walked in the room, but they didn't. That's not an offense. That may be poor manners. That may upset you. That may, be, that may seem like a whole lot of things, but they have not sinned against you because they didn't speak to you. Maybe they didn't see you. Maybe they were praying. Maybe they did. I don't know, but it doesn't make it a sin. She burned your eggs again. See, that's an offense. That's an unmet expectation. You expect your wife to get it right at, at every now and again. They didn't invite me to their party or their special activity. They obviously have something. No, 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 no. That's an unmet expectation. You expected an invitation, but it's not a sin because they didn't invite you. You didn't invite them to what you were doing, but it wasn't a sin. But because they didn't invite you, all of a sudden it's an offense. What we're calling offenses or sin are really nothing more than your expectation. And the way you were raised shapes your expectations. I wasn't raised the way you were raised. And you weren't raised the way I was raised. But we can come to an agreement so that I don't hurt your feelings and you don't hurt my feelings. She didn't say she loved me again. She left this house without saying she loved me. We all, she he knows that I need to hear it a thousand times. Show me the scripture that says he must say to me a thousand times I love you. We're trying to make, thank God for all of you. We are judging people's personalities and, and, and categorizing their, the way God has developed them in Christ as being offensive because they don't smile the way you do. They don't laugh at what you laugh at. They don't watch the same movies you watch. They don't travel where you would want to travel. You like fish, they like potatoes. That doesn't make what they like dip wrong. It's just different. Make fish and potatoes. Amen. So if something is not preventing you from accomplishing the will of God and it's biblically based, you need to go to that person and make it right. But if you upset the sister Paul that's got on red today, that's your problem. As long as her man, hey, hallelujah. And that's a big brother, too. I ain't going to mess with him. <laughs> a woman had taken her son to the beach, and she took her, took her eyes off of him. And then when she looked back, he had gone further than she told him he could, and he looked like he was drowning. And he was flinging his arms and kicking his legs, and he's screaming, help, help, help. So she runs to the lifeguard, and she says, my son is drowning. He said, well, where is he? And she said, there he is. There he is. And the lifeguard jumps out of his seat, and he runs to the, the water, and then he stops at the edge of the water. And so this little kid is in. He's throwing his arms up. He's kicking his legs out. And his wife, the woman, is saying, save my son. Save. And she's pushing it. Oh, what are you going to do? Save my son. Do something. 
He's just standing there, and he, he's watching. And, and then finally, when the young man stops thrashing and kicking, the lifeguard jumps into the water, brings the young man back to safety, and then once he knows he's safe, then the woman starts hitting him. Why did you let my son almost drown? He said, listen, ma'am, if I had done what you expected me to do, we would have both died. Because as long as your son was trying to save himself, he would have pulled us both over. But when I saw that he stopped trying to save himself, then I saved him. And because I did, I did my job. I would rather do my job than to meet your expectations. Let me, let me finish with this. I don't have my extra mic today course when I would need it. That's an offense. <laughs> if the brother would just do his job. <laughs> Why is it dangerous to refuse to let God deal with those, those areas in your life that really aren't sin but unexpected? Un fulfilled expectations. What happens for a person who is so self-absorbed and sensitive, there's some people that are, they, will cry, they will get angry and hurt, and all you did was look at them in a certain way. You didn't mean anything by it. What happens is this. You, will miss your, you can miss your miracle. When you get a chance, go back to the story of, of Naaman. He was the, the general of the Syrians, but the Bible says he was a leper. And he was told about the prophet Elijah and the, and, the, and the servant said, if you could just meet the servant of God, there is a man of God in Gosen. And so he goes down, and he's expecting Elijah to come out and, and give a, sprinkle him with oil and do a ritual and give him a 21-gun salute. But Elijah never even came out to meet Naaman. And he said, by the way, to get healed, you got to dip seven times in the dirty Jordan. And so Naaman said, I'm not putting my Syrian general leopard backside in that water. That's my parallel translation. <laughs> he refused to receive his healing because God did not perform the miracle in the manner in, he, in which he thought he should. And so someone had to go to Naaman and said, if he had asked you to do a great thing, sometimes God has a husband for you, but he doesn't look just like the one that you had in mind. He doesn't work downtown. <laughs> he may not have finished his college education. The, the, we get so caught up in the package that we missed the miracle that when you started praying three years ago for a husband, God saved him. And now he's ready to lead a family, but you're so focused that it looks like the Jordan. Wow. That you missed your miracle. Here's another consequence. Not only do you miss your miracle, but you'll be miserable surrounded by blessings. The whole city of Nineveh, I think there were 150,000 people, they got saved. And guess what the, pre the preacher who was the revivalist did in chapter 4? I knew you would do it, Lord. You're too merciful. You're too gracious. He was totally miserable, surrounded by what mattered most to God. When you don't allow the Lord to deal with your heart, you'll be miserable. Surround people getting blessed, lives are being changed, people are growing, they have outdistanced you, they got the joy of the Lord, and you are have you still having a pity party. Jonah was so miserable, he said, Lord, kill me. I'd rather die than see these folks saved. We measure on the minors. Here's another consequence. You measure on things that what really matters you miss. You, 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 you take a strainer and you pour your water through the strainer 
to avoid a gnat. And Jesus said, but you're swallowing a camel. You're sweating the small stuff. You're so focused on the temporal and how does this look and how did that look? Is it long enough? Is it tight enough? No, 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 no. What matters is the beauty on the inside because the outward man, he's perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. How do you look to God? For man is looking at the outward appearance, but God is what? He's weighing your heart. You're majoring on the minors. If they need some help, they should call. No. Call. Go. Well, I was. They've been dead 10 10 years now. And the opportunity was in front of you, but you were so caught up with maybe they wouldn't. No, no, no. Don't major on my hair. Let me finish with this. Making people big. And God small can forfeit your destiny. When people are more important to you than God, you're more concerned about what people think about you than what God thinks about you. It'll keep you out of the promised land. The Jews said when God, when Moses said, and Caleb and Joshua, we can't enter in. And the ten spies said, when we looked at them and compared ourselves to them, we looked like grasshoppers. They were giants. They were too big. What about God? And because of their unbelief, they all perished. They never entered in. There's some things that fear is going to keep you from experiencing because you didn't allow God to go there in your life. You didn't trust God enough to give him a chance to push you beyond your comfort zone. Don't give in to the devil. Don't fight fear with flight. Fight fear with faith. If God be for me, who can effectively stand against me? Let me, let me quickly just give some, some how-tos. Ask yourself when you feel offended or somebody has gone there, is this a biblical offense or an unfulfilled expectation? If it's biblical, you can go right to the word. They lied to me. Uh, they, they didn't keep their word. So lying is a sin. So ask yourself that question. Anticipate when you are doing the will of God, everybody's not going to like you. <laughs> Expect opposition. We got two people that's getting ready to go to admission field. Kenita, every kind of thing that you can imagine to prevent her from going with her passport, it, it happened. Every time these ladies get ready to go, they always are faced with some kind of satanic attack. That doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. It simply means that the devil is mad. Admonish those that need to be rebuked. You you need to rebuke some people. Tough love. Don't do that to me again. That was unacceptable. No, 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 no. That's a lie. You lied. That is your responsibility. When God asked Cain, why are you angry? He didn't ask, what kind of day did you have? He said, Cain, why are you angry? Sometimes the best way you can tell people, say, you told me off and you never use a cuss word. You don't have to cuss to tell somebody off. I have two preachers that I work with. They cuss more than anybody on staff. I was going to preach that sermon. Salvation makes a difference. How you got cussing preachers? I mean, foul mouth. Ain't nothing like a black person cussing. Oh, gosh, we can do it. We don't put no INGs and EDs. We do improper grammar. We are very demonstrative. Two cussing preachers. Finally, allow God to get the glory as you walk to your destiny. Sometimes you just need to turn the other cheek. Sometimes you just need to accept the, the, that you're being torn, you're being, you're being, uh, com- you're in conflict or harassed because of righteousness sake. Stand with me. Jesus asked the question to his disciples, 
who do men say that I am? And they gave a whole list of things that people were saying about Christ. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And you remember how Peter responded, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus went there. He said, flesh and blood. Kudos, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. And then the very next thing he has to say to Peter, it goes to another. He went there. Get thee behind me, Satan. So sometimes you can be talking to the same person in the same conversation. And you're encouraging them in the word. And then they come up with something really foul. You need to call that spirit out. You need to go there. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We bless you that you've gone there in our private areas of life. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.